just want to repeat this notion that everything is now. Mm-hmm. And the marvel in it is not just that Tony and I shared that in two different projects. It's also for me, like, particularly now in the sense that she's gone from where we are now, that the notion of everything is now is that eternity is, right? So we've all existed from the beginning of time and will exist through the end of time if there is an end of time. That we've always been here and will always remain here, even though we change form. And I mean, that's there's so many ways of, of looking at that thought. And I love that she taught me a new way of processing something that I already intrinsically knew in my heart. Hi, and welcome back to The Plot, a podcast on writing and how our words and stories are shaping the world today. I'm Sean Douglas. I'm an arts journalist and podcaster, and thanks for tuning in again. For this episode, we'll be looking back on the legacy of Toni Morrison with Nambi E. Kelly. Kelly is an actor, playwright, and screenwriter. As an actor, she's appeared in numerous onstage roles with leading regional theaters, as well as in TV shows like Search Party, Madam Secretary, Elementary, and The Beast, opposite Patrick Swayze. Her writing career has included plays like Extigone, For Her as a Piano, and perhaps most prominently, an acclaimed adaptation of Richard Wright's novel Native Son, which has been widely produced and is currently running off-Broadway in a production by The Acting Company. Her latest play, however, is an adaptation of Toni Morrison's novel Jazz, written at Morrison's request. Given Morrison's recent passing, this seemed like a perfect opportunity to reflect on her literary impact, as well as to catch up with Kelly on her busy artistic life, which now also includes writing for the third season of Showtime series The Shy. If you're a fan of either of these writers' work, I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation on what it was like for Kelly to spend the last few years delving into Morrison's writing, including the unexpected phrase she found that, to quote her, blew her mind. But in addition to discussing her adaptation of jazz, she also shares an inside look at how she got her new job in a TV writer's room, and somehow this interview even ends with her father's advice on relationships. So if you wanted some TV and dating tips thrown in with your coverage of the late Toni Morrison's Nobel Prize winning legacy, this show has you covered. A few things I wanted to note before we begin. The last time I interviewed Kelly several years ago, it was on her play For Her as a Piano, which was produced in Chicago in 2015. That play examines several generations of women with a creative time-bending structure, and while we do briefly reference it, you do not have to know that play for this interview to make sense. You'll also notice that Kelly's voice came in just slightly fainter during the first three or so minutes of our call, but otherwise I thought the quality was really good, and it should sound mostly like all the other episodes have. So with that being said, here is Nambi E. Kelly on Jazz. Well, hi Nambi. Thanks for being on the plot today. Maybe just to start with, I know you've had to answer questions about this quite a bit, but do you want to talk about your experience with adapting jazz and how that came together? Sure. I'm happy to talk about my um, experience with adapting jazz. Um, It's kind of a funny story, actually. I was auditioning. um, Well, to backtrack, I got a call from uh, the people who published 
uh, The Bluest Eye, the play version of The Bluest Eye, dramatic publishing. And they had seen Native Son at court theater, and they loved it, and so they were looking for something to work with me on. And they emailed me, and they said, so can you just send us a CV, And um, but can't tell you anything else. I was like, okay. So I sent them my resume, and then they, they, um, they called me like two weeks later, and they said, oh, we pitched you to a writer. The writer's Tony Morrison, and she uh, wants you to adapt jazz. <laughs> it's like, what? And so that's how it came to me. And then I was in an audition, maybe like that same week. And um, it was auditioning for a project at Baltimore Center Stage. And uh, the person I was auditioning me, they're like, oh, Nanda, yeah, we saw, we heard about Native Son at court. It was so great, blah, 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 blah. Congratulations. I did my audition. She said, great. So what are you writing? And I got so mad, you know, I had a little bit of an attitude about that. I'm like, I'm an actress. I'm not just a playwright, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and so she said, um, I said, well, actually, since you asked, Tony Morrison, blah, 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 blah. As I'm getting all haughty and telling this story, the person that was sitting next to her was the dramaturg at um, Center Stage. And he said, Nambi, are you serious? And I said, yes. And he said, we're going to call you tomorrow. And I'm thinking, yeah, you're going to call me for my call back, right? But I didn't get a call back for the show. But I did get a call back um, from Center Stage. And they said, we want to commission you to write that play, that, to adapt that. So it was really kind of a, a freak accident, being in the right place at the right time. And a little bit of attitude got me a job, got me a production. <laughs> <laughs> and so we um, began the process of working on it. And, um, you know, the novel is so, like Tony, it's so very uh, riveting and also incredibly complex. And so the question is always, you know, how do you make something, how do you take something, its barest elements, and make it as complex as she intended, but simplified in a way that is easily discernible? And so that is uh, still kind of my task. I have a new version of it that, because um, it since has had, it was produced at Center Stage. And then we went on to a second production, which was the West Coast premiere just this past spring at uh, Marin Theater Company. And both productions taught me tons about the material and you know, basically how to organize it. Um, my latest version of it, my last draft of it, which I completed about a month ago, is much, much, much simpler and I think much cleaner and much easier to understand and jump into and really invest in characters. But very, very um, daunting work approach, you know, approaching for text, but it actually has been quite rewarding too. And did she eventually get to see this play before she died? No, unfortunately, um, the first production, I just wasn't ready for her to see it. And I don't know on the producer end what that conversation was. I know that's where I stood with it. Mm -hmm. And then the second production, um, from what I understand, uh, she was already too ill and wasn't really traveling much. So um, I didn't think that that was going to happen until we, we were get it to the East Coast. And we were scheduled to do a reading of it. Actually, this is so strange. We were scheduled to do a reading of the play in New York on the day she died. Mm. <laughs> it was like, mm. And so it was so bizarre because the last time we'd had a reading of the play in New York was on her birthday earlier this year. Uh, which I think is February 18th. 
we had a reading in New York on her birthday. And then we were going to, and we were going to schedule to have another one. And then it was the same day that she passed, or I guess she passed in the evening. So it would have been the, the day after, but it still was close proximity. It was the day that we were all told that she had passed. So it's kind of strange coincidence that way. And had you interacted with her at all during this process? Or was it all mostly through other people? Um, the interaction with her, I have dear friends that are friends of hers um, that, you know, so she knew about the project, um, but I didn't, you know, it's a, it's a long story, but uh, there were several people trying to, to make a meeting happen. And um, around this and another project we were considering and it, just the time just ran out, unfortunately. Um, I think a couple of balls were dropped in different places, which is why that didn't happen. But it was it was intended to happen. I do have um, other colleagues that have obviously, you know, gotten to meet her and work with her um, more directly. But the, the channels that I put in place to make that happen just did not happen mm-hmm. in, a, in the time frame that it was going to work for her. So, mm-hmm. And she never got to return the favor and adapt one of your plays into one of her novels. You know, what's funny about you saying that is um, the last time I talked to you was For Her as a Piano. And there's a line in For Her as a Piano, like I hadn't even read jazz yet. And there's a line in For Her as a Piano where one of the characters says, everything is now. And that that line repeats verbatim in jazz. And so when I read the book, once they gave me, once, you know, they said, um, Nambi, we want you to work on this. And I read the book. I said, and I came across that line. I said, oh my God. Oh my God. I said, this is my play. Cause it, cause even the way it unravels, like with the multiple realities happening at once and like, it, it's very similar to for her as a piano. I mean, the story is very, very different, but the construction of it is very similar. And so for both, for both those lines to occur in both projects, and me not having read jazz and written that just kind of blew my mind, you know, the way we can be connected to greatness and not even know it. Mm. And uh, I really uh, was like, that's like the highest compliment that you could be paid, really. Yeah, it shows that there's at least some common sensibility you both had, at least in mm-hmm. your writing voice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In terms of aesthetics and stuff, yeah, it was really kind of, it was daunting when I saw it. I I, I literally, like, I think I dropped the book when I was like, oh, my God, (laughs) I wrote that, too. (laughs) (laughs) And then someone climbed out of a piano and you're like, what's this? Right. And in in jazz, you know, someone's in in a grave. And in my play, the grave, the piano was essentially a womb. It's, it's it's just there's a lot of um, parallels in a strange way that um, you know someone should write a dissertation on maybe mm-hmm. maybe I should. How is for her as a piano doing? Is that um, I saw the one at Chicago Drama just a few years ago and it was very good. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, it's um it's one of those plays I I've haven't been able to get a second production of. You know that happens sometimes. I think timing is everything. And sometimes um, I think people might be ready for it now in a way that they weren't when it was ready for a second production. And so now my attention has gone to other things. But, um, you know, 
they'll do my play when I'm dead. They'll have a Nambi festival somewhere <laughs> on Nambi's plays that have only been done once or twice. You know, Native Son just really kind of took over my life, like, shortly after that production. So, mm-hmm. and now it's running in New York, which is amazing. So, um, yeah. How's yeah. that going? I mean, as far as I know, it's going well. I am, I'm in L.A., so mm-hmm. I'm here on a contract writing for The Shy. So yeah, I, I was just going to ask you about that too. Yeah, cool. I haven't been in Chicago um, really that much this year at all, but uh, but yeah, it's been it's been amazing working in television. It's it's such an interesting. Um, it's a very different way of working, but getting at the same thing and then writing by committee too. It's like everybody's an expert dramaturg, you know. I mean, what's mm-hmm. wonderful about it is that. Everybody that I work with in the room is um, like incredible, like just like the way people are just super sharp. So like the way people think and process and at the speed at which, you know, thought and ideas just flow is is really kind of mesmerizing. Um, it's funny because I think, you know, in the past anyway, TV writers get such a bad rep. And I don't know, I'm very impressed with the people that I work with. I think they're really intelligent and caring human beings, you know. And so the work has been um, challenging because it's a new thing for me um, to write in this sort of medium. But I've been really, really, really enjoying the writing part of it. Um, I'm actually on deadline for an episode, that my episode right now, that I'm co-writing with another artist. So that's... Uh, that's my life right now mm-hmm. until my contract ends. And then I think, I don't know where I'll go from here. Maybe I'll get another job. Maybe they'll bring me back. Maybe I'll work somewhere else. Maybe for her as a piano, we'll get a second heart. You know, who knows? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so is this another thing where they said, we like your work as a playwright? Do you want to write for this show? Or? Well, I think what happened was um, I have a, a really great agent in New York whose name is Vern Coe. And she, um, about a year and a half ago, she said to me, she said, Nambi, do you want to work in TV? And I'm like, yes, because I want to do everything. Like, that's mm-hmm. the truth. I'm like 15 when it comes to 15 years old, when it comes to like all the things I want to do in life. And, uh, she, uh, she said, you need to write a, you need to write a, a pilot. And I said, well, how soon do you want it? And she said, well, I need it yesterday. And she gave me a deadline. She said, write it in two weeks. I said, what? She said, yes, write it in two weeks. And I I was like, oh, okay. And so I sat down and I wrote her a script in six days. And I sent it to her and she loved it. And she gave me a couple of notes. They were tiny notes. And she's like, all right, I'm going to send you out on some meetings. And from there, um, she sent me to L.A. I got a whole bunch of meetings, people that I'm still, you know, having connections with and it was the same thing. She sent my pilot to, um, I guess, Lena Waithe's production company, maybe. And uh, they said, well, you got a meeting with the showrunner. And I was like, what? She's like, yes. And actually, oddly enough, we were rehearsing jazz in Marin when all of this happened. <laughs> so I was literally in rehearsal with Tony's words and got this call to, you need to fly to L.A. to have this meeting. So I think it was a couple of things. It was that they read my pilot. And maybe my, my playwriting pedigree, too. And um, that I'm from Chicago and I spent part of my childhood on the South Side. So they were like, oh, and she's a woman oh, and we need women's voices in the room. 
I mean, it was a, it's a more complicated. Like I had to have like three or four interviews. Yeah. So I was back and forth from LA um, while I was in rehearsal for jazz, and then they gave me the they they made an offer, and they said you need to be in LA in three days, and uh, I was like, but my opening, <laughs> so I didn't even get to see jazz open. Um, I had to go back um, a couple of weeks later to see the show. And then I made my revisions based on, actually it made more sense because I had some time away from it. And then I could watch it with fresh eyes and, and just be like, oh, cut this, move that, edit this, punch up that. Oh, <laughs> a new draft. But I saved, I must have shaved off like 15 pages of it when I went back. Because less is always more, you know, mm -hmm. particularly an adaptation. Um, so it's a 90 minute play. Um, and the original production was also a 90 minute play, but this new, this new draft of it is much more, is much fuller, but much more streamlined at the same time, if that makes any sense at all. Yeah, it so, sounds like maybe it breathes a little more. Yeah. And it has, uh, you know, it's got live music in it and, um, acapella singing and dancing and, and the whole structure of it is basically jazz, you know. Which sometimes people don't quite get, especially when we did it at center stage. People be like, "Huh?" It's like it's it's structured like jazz. <laughs> it's like, oh, <laughs> or my version of jazz, which is you know a good producer telling you what's your entryway into this material. Yeah, yeah, because tr traditional jazz in the era of the book, which is the mid nineteen twenties, is much more traditional than how we think of jazz now. Mm -hmm. jazz has gone through such a metamorphosis over time so my particular brand of jazz is is influenced by everything that's come before you know so which is not necessarily authentic to the 1920s if at all <laughs> but that's yeah. okay mm -hmm. well, i can see that's the perspective of jazz kind of through a modern lens mm-hmm mm-hmm mm -hmm. So this might have to do with what we've talked about so far. It might have nothing to do with any of these subjects. Mm -hmm. um, but just for one last question, what is an interesting or memorable conversation that you've had recently? An interesting or memorable conversation that I have had recently? Yeah. I have to think who I've talked to. I've been in writing mode. <laughs> <laughs> so I haven't really talked to anybody recently. Um, <laughs> okay. This is um, interesting and memorable. It might not be interesting, but I'm in a relationship with um, a very wonderful artist who lives in New York, who I've spent probably two months with all of them the past two years. But uh, yesterday we had a, a really great conversation about um, what it is to to combine households. And um and I was, I, I thought it was, it really moved me and it was really interesting, mostly because when I think about when I met him, which was five years ago, when I was working on Native Son, actually, is when we met. And um, the, the difference between then and now and the level of comfort and care that we have for each other is really kind of beautiful to witness that sometimes, you know, we tend to look at things, I mean, just in general sense, we look at things from a very broad judgy perspective you know like particularly now in a world of internet and things that move so quickly that uh you know we sum up things pretty quickly and i'm really glad that i stuck it out to see all of the facets or many more of the unraveling of of who he is as a human being it's really um 
quite moving and quite beautiful to witness. Yeah, so, people, yeah. people are so deep. It takes so long to really get to know someone mm-hmm. on a deeper level. Yeah, my father used to tell me, he'd say, well, you got to be with somebody at least two years. Um, because you see them through at least, you know, four seasons. And if, um, and even then sometimes he's like, so if you're in a relationship and it ends before two years, he's like, don't even sweat it because it takes a long time to get to know someone. And it takes a long time to get to know yourself in the context of that person and how it's feeding you or not feeding you, you know? Mm -hmm. So he's like two years. That's, that's, that's the gauge. And, um, yeah, but but also it's either it takes a long time or it takes no time because you think about like sometimes you'll be at, on a train or subway and you'll have the most intimate conversation with a stranger, right? But then the person that you spend all your time with, uh, you don't know anything about. Like you'll have a more intimate conversation with a stranger. So there's all kinds of interesting like dynamics that happen between people. Mm-hmm. that um, I find fascinating. Yeah, I do know of people that, you know, get married within like weeks of meeting each other or something and then somehow they're still together years later and it's like apparently they their intuition paid off in that situation, like they knew something at the time. That... Yeah. Yeah, and it's funny cuz I mean that sort of that still happens today even though not as frequently as in the old days. Maybe mm-hmm. it's cuz people didn't live as long, I don't know, but my grandparents um my grandparents, my grandfather was my grandmother's teacher. And then like they met again years later and then within two weeks they got married and, uh, and they were together until he passed and she was a young woman. He was 20 years older than her. Um, and my, and my grandfather actually was the first generation of my family on my father's side born post slavery. So, I'm generation three. There's only three generations of our family post-slavery in this country on my dad's side. Yeah, it's kind of a wild thought. So are there any final thoughts or words of wisdom before we go? Um, I just want to repeat this notion that everything is now. Mm -hmm. And the marvel in it is not just that Tony and I shared that in two different projects. It's also for me like, particularly now in the sense that she's gone from where we are now, that the notion of everything is now is that eternity is, right? So we've all existed from the beginning of time and we'll exist through the end of time if there is an end of time. That we've always been here and will always remain here, even though we change form. And I mean, that's there's so many ways of, of looking at that thought and I love that she taught me a new way of processing something that I already intrinsically knew in my heart was the, was a truth of reality. So what it means for me is that my ancestors are here with me. My parents are here with me, even though they're gone. You know, my children who I have yet to birth are already sitting right beside me. Like we're all here together all at once and that there's no separation between, you know, what we think we see and what is actually real. And Tony, that whole book is, is jazz is spun on that entire idea, you know, that we're all connected 
And so we'll be with her forever and she'll be with us forever. And even if she's not here, she's always here and she's always been here and she always will be. And so will we. That's the beauty. It's not just because she's held up as greatness that she has eternity as the thing that sustains. We all have that because we don't know the effects of what we put into the world. We don't know how it impacts, but we're always here, whether or not somebody heralds us as great. Everybody, everything is now. And she taught me another way of seeing that, and that's transformed my life. That was Nambi E. Kelly on her adaptation of Toni Morrison's novel, Jazz. To keep up to date on all of Kelly's acting and writing news, you can visit nambikelly.com. The plot is a production for me, Sean Douglas, and the credits theme music is by Tan Chong Yu. If you liked this show, please subscribe on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. I know you hear that from every show, but really, if you liked us, look us up, subscribe, and get notified every two weeks when we have another episode for you. You can follow me on Twitter at underscore Sean Douglas underscore, and this show at The Plot Podcast. Thank you again to Nambi E. Kelly. That's our show, and thank you for listening.